Hey everyone, we're in conversation today with Lee Chambers. Lee's a well-being consultant. He's based in the UK in Preston. Uh, more about that maybe later. Uh, but he really thinks of himself, what I love, as a renegade environmental psychologist. We'll get into that. Uh, after losing the ability to walk and then having to relearn how to walk, Lee's been on a journey ever since to influence our working environments. Lee uses critical thinking about spaces, places, and how people interact with them. And he's made it his mission to make sure that where we work is a place that energizes us rather than drains us. He's the founder of Phenom Games and Essentialize. Lee, it is a, a great pleasure to have you here today in the uh, In Conversation With series, part of uh, my Leadership Now program. Here's a question for you as we get into this. Is there something wrong with work right now as you see it? Here we are, you know, hopefully entering into an endemic, a post-pandemic world. And what are, what are we up for right now? What do you see uh, across the pond, if you will, because I'm based in the West Coast of Canada? What's going on in the orgs? Uh, what do you see? Yeah, there's, to be honest, it's a really kind of evolutionary time. I'm seeing so much, and obviously in my position as someone who generally goes into businesses looking at their well-being, their inclusion strategy, but really getting a handle on their people services, what we're seeing is you know, a lot of companies really struggling to attract the talent they need, looking at the potential skill gaps for the future, and how they fit into new ways of working, both pattern-wise, location-wise, and really starting to get more clarity on how the different generations within a business interconnect, how they can start to, you know, re-engage those who've, you know, got quite comfortable working from home and re-engage those who really struggled working from home. And as things seem to come into a, a new hybrid way of doing things, it's new territory for a lot of people. Some people are resistant. Other people are trying to embrace everything and organically shape it as we go. And I think, you know what, Dan, we're in for an exciting period over the next few years as we look at things that have like digitization, which has rapidly sped up, flexible working, which has jumped probably seven, eight years ahead of where it was yeah. in the space of two. But also looking at the other things, the underlying aspects around greater society and people's expectations and expression of what work means and how that embeds into their lives. So there's a lot of different moving parts at the minute, Dan, and it's exciting to be part of it. So given your, your work, uh, let's look pre-pandemic, but kind of look into the glass lens or the ball, the crystal ball of going forward. So Lee, um, what ought to have been shred prior to the pandemic inside the organization with respect to culture, leadership, operating practices, that now, if they're not being shred or discarded, uh, the organization is in for a very rough ride going forward. So it's kind of a little bit looking back, and then we really got to get it. We really have to get rid of this now. Yeah. So I think a massive thing that has come forward is with a pandemic creating an intense focus on health it's really clear that well-being and being implemented effectively for businesses is something that, you know, so many are looking back and thinking, if we'd have just built the foundations, we'd have actually found that we didn't have to now rapidly try and transform the little well-being that we have in place into something that's strategic and effective. 
obviously the companies that have tested different working patterns that have looked at flexibility and some companies have already brought themselves to a level of digitization and you know remote working practice that when the pandemic hit they weren't adapting and acclimatizing in the same way that companies who had to suddenly move five years advancement in the space of a week right um but they'd also generated a more agile business and employees who were more agile in their own mindsets. So they were also able to move more dynamically, but be more resilient to the constant changes that they were facing, the uncertainty of both business and society at large. And, you know, a lot of these things that have been growing since in the, in the last decade around agile working, around resilient businesses, around pillars of well-being, sustainability, and diversity and inclusion, and using those as a competitive advantage, what I've seen is those companies who started to embed that before the pandemic have been a lot more resilient through the pandemic and been able to move with speed at changing client and customer needs, be able to take advantage of new opportunities that have arisen and have found an ability to pivot more effectively where they've had to where restrictions have stopped them from being able to carry out business as they have done before. So is this the the age of the employee, Lee? Has, has the tide shifted, if you will, towards where if the organization and its leaders are not inculcating a culture in which it is about wellness, it is about you know, emotional integrity, it is about a collaborative environment in which you know, maybe your decision isn't your way, but your least your voice is heard. Tell me a bit about what you see from the 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 psychological safety net, if you will, inside the organization. Does the employee now have the cards if the organization is unwilling or unable to shift? Well, I definitely see a shift in that employee contracts and employee expectations. So it wasn't that long ago we were looking at employee satisfaction. In effect, how can we keep them happy so they keep working? Right. And then we've moved in, moved about 10 years ago to employee engagement. How can we get them engaged in the process? So a little bit more than satisfied, but getting them a little bit more involved so they're engaged in the process and can then carry out the process more effectively. And obviously through the pandemic and the last few years, it's really shifted towards employee experience. How can that culture that an employee comes into allow them to attach their values and have an experience that is valuable and fulfilling and therefore propels them to work more effectively, to problem solve more effectively, to critically think about the challenges that they face? Because business is you know, very adaptable and dynamic in its nature mm. and an employee especially over the past two years, many of them have shown adaptability, resilience, flexibility. They have given you know, a lot of themselves to ensure that our business has been able to navigate through these turbulent times. And that comes with a little bit of a, almost like a bank of trust. Hmm. And employees have given some of that trust into the employer's hand and said, I trust you, I'm going to deliver for your business. And now they're actually in a place where a lot of employees are looking and thinking I've given some trust I've filled that bank up how's my bank of trust towards the organization and when that's you know when that trust is there it generates hope and optimism for the future for the chance to be able to develop to move forward 
to access those, you know, different squiggly career pathways that now exist. Very few industries have that narrow laddered matrix that was previous and things are changing when you can work remotely or work in a hybrid way. So for me, the balance has shifted. Employees are now in a place where in a candidate driven market, they're the ones who hold the talent, they're the ones who hold the value, and they're the ones who are willing to now step in, ask those pertinent questions. What's the purpose of this organization? How can I foster that trust? Are you going to invest in me? And what I find is, you know, Gen Z are even more likely to ask those questions, looking at where the value, where the direction, where the change and the, you know, the benefiting the different stakeholders. That's the questions that start, that are starting to be asked. Well, you've brought it up, so let's let's tackle it. Uh, and uh, it dawned on me that you're really re- referring to sort of a reciprocity where employer. Uh, default or de facto must be trusting the employee, but the employee is looking up and saying, I I almost got to trust you as well, that you're going to do the right thing by me for me. So let's park reciprocity just for a second. Let's let's get into the generational question. Clearly, I'm uh, Gen X, you're clearly millennial, and you've brought up Gen Z. So what is it that you're seeing in in your uh, work, in your world, where, as you've alluded to, the, the Gen Zers are almost uh, flying the flag of authenticity and this is this is how it ought to be, that's my interpretation, versus maybe what a millennial and or Gen X is serving up these days. Like what's your, what's your differentiated take on the generations? Yeah, so I definitely think from my perspective as a millennial, in an economically growing world where asset values were increasing, where there was a level of political stability where there was economic growth and where a lot of things were still straight lines. Our careers advice was to go and fulfill our educational obligations, go to college, go to university, get onto a graduate scheme for a big company, set yourself up for that life where you gradually traveled the ladder of your career. Everything was a ladder. The housing ladder were encouraged to buy property. And yet what happened is when we came out of education, we hit, the recession, the credit crunch, and the challenges of 2007 and 2008. And we'd had a whole lifetime of technological advancement that was every year ramping up. Mm-hmm. Economic growth, everything was going up in our lives. So we, as we grew and surrounded and absorbed that culture, we honestly believed that our lives would also be on that wave because we'd not experienced the, the dips, the troughs that you get in an economic cycle. What that actually presented is we came out and had a belief of all these things that we were going to achieve, this the way that the world was going to be, this career we're going to be able to develop, and these milestones we're going to be able to hit, and we hit adulthood, and all of a sudden the rules changed. <laughs> and for millennials, the thing is that created a focus of individualization, a focus on you know progression, a focus on momentum, but that wasn't something that was kind of, it was real as an essence, it was about you. You had to make the difference. You had to carve that pathway. And what that did is it very much shaped our identity to start to become what career we ascended to be or what we wanted to become. And that was because a lot of the pillars around identity, community, religion, you know, localization, also started to, you know, restrict. And we'd kind of gone into a place where all of a sudden our identity was an economy in itself. Now, because of that, 
we kind of came out and realised, okay, so things are not as they are, but we're going to have to play the game that we've been, you know, that we've been dealt. Um, now, what's happening with Gen Z is they are actually saying, look, those old promises that were made to the generation above us, we know they were false promises. We know they were unsustainable. We know that they were unfulfillable. So we are going to go and work, co-design things, co-collaborate, bring things together, work in teams, fight for social change, and more than anything, try to tail the world towards businesses that are purposeful because they lived in a world where digitization is and it has been present throughout their childhood and their adolescence. And it's a very different thing where they started to actually see as a generation, we can actually shape the world going forward, the planet, you know, as it's going to be, businesses as they're going to be in the future. And they are actively on the ground making that difference now and have a very different mindset to some of the people coming towards the end of the careers. This is quite fascinating. So let's delve a little bit deeper into this, uh, this thread. As, a, as an Xer, uh, I came out of university and it was grunge land, you know, Kurt Cobain had taken his life and it was quite doomy and gloomy. And, you know, we were looking up at the boomers and the boomers had taken everything and they were sort of saying, hey, don't you want this as well? You brought up a really good point about the credit crunch, sort of the 07, 08, 09 era where the millennials are now coming out. And it's, I mean, it's, it's a zoo, right? What you have is companies literally almost uh, going bankrupt and still the same upward mobility kind of dogma is prevalent, whether that is family, whether that's career, whether that's house and so forth. I mean, I completely understand. And now if you think about it, what we're talking about is another generation in the middle of the pandemic coming out, i.e. Gen Z, coming out of university and so forth. And so where I want to go with this particular question is, what is it that the organization and its senior leaders really need to delve into, grapple with, and do differently, knowing that you know, the makeup of the organization is, for better or worse, uh, Gen X, Millennials, and Gen Z. So you, I would imagine that there's got to be some tailoring going on, but do you see something else perhaps that is needing to happen in order to adjust and um, alleviate the concern of the Gen Z, of the Millennials still, like yourself, and even to the Gen X? Yeah, so I think such a big thing is actually implementing something that looks at the differences. Now, it's important that you don't directly stereotype generations yeah. in one particular box, but there are clear trends in how they see work, working patterns, working styles, and how they actually see their development. So, for example, what I quite often see is, you know, Gen Xs have a, a slower consideration for progress that they've seen that they feel that you know you gradually work your way through a company over time whereas i see a lot of gen z's and this live in a world where if they achieve the performance and the output they actually expect things to happen more quickly and it's a balancing and managing of those expectations okay. because you often find that businesses are incredibly effective when they bring a diverse range of people together from a lot of different intersections. I feel it's really important to have that diversity of age in an organization. Those people who've been there 
and seeing how it's evolved over the past 30 years have an amazing bank of knowledge to be utilized so often they're actually started to be pushed out and you know told they're not relevant but an older workforce has so much to give but it's finding ways to help you know channel that communication because sometimes they will see some of the younger workers and think where's the work ethic right. you know why are they asking all these questions why do they keep asking if they got training budget and it's you know it's bridging these gaps to realize that if you can bring people together with an awareness of why those differences exist but a realization that actually when you work together experience and the exuberance of youth can actually create better businesses that look at challenges from a variety of different angles, really leverage that experience of the members of staff who've been there for a while, while really taking and embracing that energy of the new talent that's coming in and shaping that. Because so often, an ability to shape that talent and really nourish that talent is what's going to be what takes your business to the next level, both in terms of performance, but in terms of creativity and innovation as well. I mentioned uh, in the green room before we press record that uh, you know my my family and I are from England, and my dad was um, is an electrical engineer. And growing up in England, he was part of the apprenticeship program, somewhat obviously as engineers are, where at a very young age, you know, you go in, you do your schooling, but you're also paired with uh, various engineers to help you understand the craft, the tools of the trade. You know, you're actually getting an, an on the ground, um, very in hand kind of experience. So what I'm hearing you say, Lee, is notwithstanding perhaps the analogy, but something analogous to the organization really having to create this upskilling ecosystem of sharing of not just knowledge transfer, which sounds like a term from the '90s, but really this kind of learned model where we're, regardless of age and experience, we are we are sharing, we are giving, we are enabling, we are helping one another achieve. I've, I've written something called uh, the term horizontal ignition. Rather than thinking about going vertical, how do we help one another ignite our horizontal skills maybe to you know uh, get into that other role or into that other juicy project, what have you. Is that what you're seeing? Like so, somewhat of an ecosystem of, of give and of, uh, of learning? Yeah, because there's a massive power in sidesteps and widening skill sets and also we live in this world where there's an element of mentoring involved mm. that can be important but there's something for actually the informal aspects as well a culture that broaches informal learning and obviously one of the challenges of you know remote working is that sometimes you lose a lot of that informal learning and you know you not don't have access to that directly so you actually need to inbuild ways to ensure that still happens. And sometimes, you know, those organic aspects, because we can see and understand that the more diverse an organization becomes, if there's a culture that embraces that and creates space for the difference, then there's actually a, you know, a wider perspective of how to evolve going forward, how to tackle challenges. They become more resilient because you've got that wider base. And I think that, you know, we've so often and kind of fallen into a little bit of a trap mm. of really focusing narrowly on a sole set of metrics to make decisions. And I suppose what the last few years has done and what the younger generation is trying to do is take that tunnel and turn it into a funnel where suddenly it's a lot wider. So it's considering different stakeholders, not just the, you know, the shareholders, 
or the consumers, but actually back into the employees, looking at society at large, looking at the environment and doing the same with our skill sets because we have to be so much more adaptive because things are constantly changing. And if you're too narrow, all of a sudden you won't fit the wider holes that are opening up and you're not able to access those opportunities. You just fall through the gaps. So as we start to look at that future, it's about widening things. And we all need to widen certain skills around critical thinking, certain skills around being more emotionally intelligent and balanced, and also being more cognitively flexible because we continue learning way beyond education in the current world that we live in. And when that you know, curiosity is fostered in the workplace, you know, people can astonish you. I think you have uh, unknowingly uh, just mashed up two of my books, Open to Think and The Purpose Effect. Open to Think was a book about how to be uh, cognitively adroit so that you are creative and critically thinking whilst you're still having to do. And The Purpose Effect was a book tailored to those who had no idea what a stakeholder was. You know, those that just focus on EBITDA or, you know, shareholder return, if you will, if you're publicly traded, that we need to look at all community, the environment, you know, place, the employee, the team member and so forth, as you're thinking about how your organization is ultimately constructed. Okay, Lee, uh, help me with this. Maybe two last questions. First is, what are the, the two, the three things that you look for in an organization who is indeed about to make the shift or making the shift towards that? operating model that you so eloquently have uh, waxed lyrical about? Yeah, so I suppose a big part of what we do is we kind of look at the readiness to change Mm -hmm. because that is so often an indicator of where a company's at. Now, naturally, what you find is there's a question there. Most companies engage consultants and engage strategists because there's a challenge we face and it's starting to directly impact the bottom line or it's starting to impact metrics, KPIs, you know, KBOs that we're looking to achieve. Naturally, those, and at the minute, a massive one is talent acquisition. So, you know, the ability to retain the talent that you have and acquire new talent in such a competitive world where people are, you know, the great resignation, reignition, reinvention, However you want to phrase it, people are looking more purposefully at the careers, at what they do, at what they give back, and that reciprocity of trust. So naturally, there has to be an intention there to really put some groundwork into this culture. If a company doesn't want me to look under the hood, then there probably signals there's something going on. In a, in, a, in, a, in a way that I can go into, but some companies are much more hesitant for me to start tinkering around. Uh, so I look for those that are willing to actually say, you know what, we've got these challenges, but we're actually going to trust you to come in, have a look at them and be objective. Now, that open, honest, kind of transparent approach is really important because at the end of the day, you, you're, you're being given that trust to come in as an external body into a business. And for me, obviously, looking at that culture and seeing, you know, how can we create something that is regenerative to the employees and beneficial to the business? Because every business has got to look and realize that the benefits to the employees must also create a business case for the business to, you know, become more effective. And hopefully with that effectiveness comes increased impact in the positive, purposeful things that they do. 
And, you know, looking at those, looking at those different aspects, Dan, it's so often a case of that appetite to change, that willingness to look and say, you know, our culture is not what we want it to be, but we can see the potential to make a difference and also being willing to look and see as leaders how they can model that, mm. how they can look at their own self-awareness and capabilities and actually be honest and realize that part of a business's evolution is also the human evolution of them. And if I'm wanting to work with a business, one of the first things I'm looking at is how much of the human do people bring to work? Because that is a massive signifier for the current culture and the current level of readiness to change. Gosh, I love that. I wish you could end there, but I've got to segue to the final question because I think it's important and it does segue rather nicely to that point, Lee. And that's, you've heard of the term greenwashing, obviously. What, what is the, the washing of the day that you're looking out for from the organization where they perhaps talk a good game? However, they're not actually actualizing the purported culture that they speak of. Yeah, so I think there's three big pillars in this at the moment, Dan. You touch upon one, greenwashing. I've seen, you know, especially Gen Z, they will look at what you are putting out to the world and they will honestly ask you, what have you achieved? Can I see the data? Can I see what the next plan is? Can I actually see what's been implemented? They are very, very, you know, conscious of the fact that it's easy to purport and not so easy to quantify. And they're looking more and more at that. But there's also health washing done around well-being. We look after our staff. We have all this access to facilities for our team. We have a slide. We have beanbags and yoga on a Friday. If well-being isn't inclusive, it's, it's, it's health washing. It's really making your company look like it's, you know, it's really proactive. But actually... Is it proactive? Because proactive and preventative well-being are really important within organizations now because people's minds are on health. Mm-hmm. They want to know that they're being, you know, there's a facility there to be looked after, not to the point where they lose their autonomy and you know ability to look after themselves, but there's that feeling there that I am being cared for. And finally, you know, it's massive. Anything around inclusion and intersectionality. Uh, if you keep saying, oh, you know, we're, we're a space for everyone, you know, we, we, accept, we accept everyone of gender, age, race, ethnicity, you know, sexuality, and you're a place that's toxic, then, you know, employees are starting to write open letters. Employees are starting to go to the press. <laughs> employees are starting to expose your culture for what it is. And if it diverts so far away from what you're actually saying, then, you know, you will get found out. And I think that's the biggest thing of the next generation is to not afraid to take massive floating corporate bodies to task. Because at the end of the day, every floating corporate body is a story and people don't like it when they read the story and they're like, I've been part of writing this. This isn't right. <laughs> and when people feel like that, there's only so, it depends how much you've got in that trust meter, Dan. It depletes that trust meter quicker than pretty much anything else. Yeah, that volcano can blow pretty quickly, can it? Uh, oh, it can. Oh, I love it. Well, maybe I don't love it, but we've got greenwashing, health washing, and essentially EDI washing. Fantastic. 
Look out for all the washing. Lee, this has been fantastic. Tell us a bit about, about more of yourself, where we can reach you, find out more about Essentialize and you. Yes, yeah, so the best place to find more about me would be at my website, which is leechambers.org. And from there, you'll be able to access information about my company, the work that I do, my social media channels, and I am most active on LinkedIn. Well, that's where we met because you are such a great father. You spoke out uh, early on, I suppose, uh, or later on in 2021, and we're really taking to task some of those people who didn't believe that uh, you could balance or should be balancing being a dad and being a spouse and being a good lad and present with the ability to actually still make an earnings and an income and a life and a living. And so with that, I thank you for your audacity, your courage to call out those who do not understand the balance and that you can be a pretty good dad at the same time as being a pretty good entrepreneur as you are. Lee, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much and uh, hope to do this again soon. Thank you, Dan. Cheers, Lee.